All right. Good morning. Today we're uh, in a series called Reality. And when you think of that word reality, what comes to your mind? It probably something like, well, what I can see, what I can feel, that's what's real. What I can observe, what I can experience with my five senses, that which is is observable, is what is real to me. And yet, is that really reality? One of the things the Bible says is that we look not to the things which are seen, which are temporal, but we look to the things which are unseen, which are eternal. So the Bible tells us that that which is really real is that which lasts forever. There are only two things that last forever, God and your eternal soul. And if you think about it, then you are a steward over that which is eternal, your soul. So as we talk today, we're going to make reference to the concept of time. And time is something that nobody ever has enough of, but everybody has all there is of time. So you have as much time as anybody else, but you never have any time. Have you ever noticed that? Isn't that unusual? When we think about time, we think in terms of past and present and future. Agreed? Yeah, we all, we all good on that one? And so when you look at your life, you think, okay, well, what happened in my past? And we think about that as being something that is fixed. It's kind of like history. That's in the past. And we think about the present. Okay, we'll get to that one. And we think about the future, and that's the not yet. So the present becomes what is now. And what makes that really interesting is that when we look at that, not from a perspective of like a river that's flowing, you know, past, present, future, my life is kind of in this flow, but when we begin to look at it from a physics standpoint, it becomes even more interesting, especially when you think about all that's been theorized and written about the concept of time. One time, Einstein was asked about relativity and about time, and he gave a very complex explanation that no one could understand. And so they asked him, could you make it simple? He said, yes. If you grab a skillet that is hot, it seems like forever before you get your hand off of it. But if you're sitting next to your girlfriend who is hot, it seems to go, not time doesn't pass at all. It's just like this is unbelievable. Well, that's relativity. Does that make sense? Have you ever noticed how long some things seem and how short some things seem, and yet it's the same time? When you're 15 waiting to get your driver's license, it's forever, right? When you're doing something uncomfortable, it's also forever, but when you're doing something pleasurable, it passes in just an instant. When you think about your life, as you move closer to the end of your life, time seems to move faster because you've used up a greater uh, percentage of your life. And so now you're starting to look at life differently, and you're trying to capitalize on every moment you possibly can in terms of time. Well, probably the thing that has created the biggest conflict for all of us is the clock, is time. Because we find ourselves with this thing on our wrist or in our purse or on our phone, and we're looking at it going, what time is it? But is time even real? When God created um, the heavens and the earth, he did something, he gave us something called time, and 
He said this is past and this is present and this is future. It's kind of a way to understand it. But God dwells in eternity, and eternity is always now. So we talk about the eternal now. Everything is present tense in eternity. So it's all simultaneously happening. So when God looks at your life, he doesn't look at your past and your present and your future. He looks at your life as a whole instantly in the eternal now. When Moses was confused about how he was going to pull off this great uh, stunt that he, he was asked to do by God, that is go back, convince the Pharaoh to let all of Israel go, he said, what is your name? Who shall I say sent me? In other words, Moses said, I need to drop a name or two. I'm talking to a bush that's on fire. That's not going to work. What do I say? And God said, simply say, I am sent you. That doesn't seem like enough. I am? What does that mean? I am always present. I am your all-sufficiency. I am everything you always need. Wherever you go, I will always be I am. Some people like to use this term, in the eternal past. It's really not accurate because there is no past in eternity. Eternity is always present. All the the references we have to past, present, future were given to us to try to understand what's happening so we can put it into creature words, and that is past, present, and future. But what if it was really different? What if you could begin to look at things differently? You know, I I picked up one of our offering envelopes, and I I just was trying to remind myself what it said on it because I give all of my my giving typically is through the the app. But it says, so as fast as you reap and the barn becomes unnecessary, our opportunity to give into the future of influence. And I thought, hmm, interesting. So if I sow as fast as I reap, I don't worry about storing up something. Because the idea is you want to sow so fast that the the guy who's plowing can't keep up with the guy who's reaping. So you're reaping even before you sow. Now, I wasn't going to do this, but I just just can't stand it. This is not in the script at all. Hebrews chapter 7. Can I just read something to you? If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. This is so good. This will make your mind hurt. Are you ready? I read this to my wife. She goes, i got to think about that. So in Hebrews chapter 7, it's talking about Abraham. Remember Abraham? Say, I know Abraham. That's good. Okay, and there was a guy named Melchizedek. Anybody ever heard of Melchizedek? Melchizedek was the king of Salem. He was really a uh, pre-incarnate person who showed up. He was a pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, who showed up in the time of Abraham. In fact, Abraham worships him. Abraham brings him a tithe, and he's listed all through the book of Hebrews as this mysterious person who is actually the son of the living God. All right, now, look what happens here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7. It says, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Okay, what does that mean? Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Okay, I still don't know what's going on. Keep going. Help me. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father Melchizedek when he met him. Okay, now watch what happens here. The Bible says that when Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek, at the same time Levi offered a tithe unto Melchizedek. But Levi was not yet born. 
Do you realize that when you are faithful with your life, you are not just blessing your life, you are blessing generations that are not yet born? You see, sometimes, I'm going to say it this way, in our version of Christianity we have, we think about us, and we don't think about anybody beyond us, not even our children's children. We think, yeah, I'll take them to church. Did you ever think that your obedience, even in a tithe, is blessing future generations? That God credits it to their account when you're faithful? Isn't it interesting in the book of Job that Job says that he offered a sacrifice for his sons and his daughters just in case they sinned? Do you hear that? I'm going to offer a sacrifice for children that are not yet born or who are born who might have sinned, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to God because God will honor that. This is so deep and so rich that it's not something you just kind of, you know, mention in a sermon like I just did and then leave you with it. But that's exactly what I'm doing. All right, now let's talk about time. Now that your head's spinning. So there was a time at which we measured time by the moon. It's called lunar time. Then we found a more effective way to do it, and it's called solar time. So are we going to look at the moon and the faces of the moon to determine time, or are we going to look at the sun? Now, there was a really neat creation called the sundial, which worked really good unless you lived in Denmark, where the sun doesn't come out enough. And so you really couldn't, so the people, you couldn't really determine kind of what time it was any other way than to say today is today and, you know, tomorrow is tomorrow, and that's about all you could really come up with. But it gave a very strategic advantage when the sundial came into play and then when the clock came into play uh, because then you could coordinate battles and you could kind of predict things that were going on. You could understand something about how, how the world kind of worked bigger than you were in. The next kind of shift that we see in the way that we look at time was a shift from the natural sense of things like days to an uh, an artificial sense like weeks. What is a week? Well, we arbitrarily say seven days is a week, but that's not a natural way of thinking at it. Why don't we think about, like the British do, a fourth night? When I first moved to England, I went to class, and, and the professor got up and said a fourth night ago, I had a couple of blokes help me put some aluminum on my house. I didn't know what he was talking about. A fourth night. What's a fourth night? About 14 days, but not exactly. You see, we use all kinds of terms to try to describe our life and to try to capsulize time. Then there became a shift from periods like a.m., p.m. to a sense of precision like hours and minutes and seconds. So on my watch, I have a, 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 a couple of different little dials here, and I can find out by the second, but I can find out by the tenth of a second. And I, if I ever want to know something, how long does that take? Does it take a tenth of a second or two tenths of a second? I can find out like I want to know. Now, maybe if I were wanting to time myself running 40 yards to see how fast I would do it, I would, that would be important. But I don't need seconds to do that. I need hours. Are you with me on this? So time is really interesting. Well, as we begin to study it more, an MIT professor, Bradford Skull, Uh, began to talk about, and it wasn't completely unique to him, but something called a block universe. If you ever want to do a little bit more research, this interests you, you can certainly look it up. But a block universe is the idea that time doesn't actually exist in past, present, future. It actually exists in a fourth dimension. And a fourth dimension is that all these things are happening simultaneously. 
So that instead of looking at time like a river that's flowing past you, you look at it simultaneously all happening, and to put it in his own words, here's what he said, events don't sail past us and vanish forever. Instead, they exist in different parts of space-time. Now, that sounds really deep until you understand that I've been saying this for 20 years because this is what the Bible teaches, that, that we really operate in the eternal now. And that's why when you exercise faith, what you're really doing is you're reaching into the future and you're pulling it back into the present, into your time-space continuum. That's what faith is. Faith is not operating in the frustration of the present. Faith is operating in the future, pulling it back into the present because you understand that God operates in this. This is what science calls it now, finally. It took them a little while since creation. But this is the concept. I've said over and over again that science and Bible are not at odds with one another. They're both on a journey of discovery. We're trying to discover what did God say exactly, how does that line up with the world we're in, and how do we bring the two together so we cooperate with this marvelous planet that God has created and this marvelous designed in the image of God human being that we are. And when we operate in the best possible way, what we're doing is we're operating in the best physics and the best science and the best Bible we can possibly operate in. That way we're not contradicting anything. People all the time say, well, do you think the earth is young or old? I don't know. I wasn't there when God did it. But here's what I do think. I think the earth is very, very old. How old? I don't know. Older than me? Older than you? Older than the other per- oldest person you know? Is it, is it 5,000 years old or 13 billion years old? I, I'm going to lean toward the 13 billion and the five. But God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He did it instantaneously in a day. What kind of day? His kind of day. Not your kind of day, his kind of day. We said it says in six days he created, yeah, what kind of days? He didn't have the sun, the moon, and the stars until the fourth day, so it couldn't have been those kind of 24-hour, seven-day periods that you have, could it? One day is as a thousand years is as one day unto the Lord. You say, well, I wish God would hurry up and answer. He is answering. He's already answered it. He already answered it because, you see, he lives in the eternal now. The answers to your future are already in, in, in your life. You just have to discover them. Having fun yet? So what do we do? We have to redeem the time. Now, the word redeem means to buy back, that it was lost somehow, and you've got to go get it. Now, no, the first thing that comes to mind when we say that is I need time management. You know what time management is? It is an operation to get us to do, cram more stuff into, into less time. Right? I need time management. I need to get more done. I need to cram more into my life than I possibly can right now. Isn't that really what time's all about? Isn't that why, oh, I've only got five minutes, right? Have you ever noticed how the urgent is always pushing you? Urgent, urgent, urgent. My wife and I went out on a date night the other night, um, and uh, I had my phone on vibrate. I put it on vibrate so that I um, am stealthily getting messages and know it, but nobody else really knows it. And so I'm sitting there with my wife, and my phone is just like, you know, you know it's just vibrating. And my whole pocket is like, I'm going, I know it's urgent. You ever had those moments? I have to check. Somebody has posted on social media, I need to respond quick, or they will feel so disappointed that I didn't like their thing. I got to do something. Anyway, my phone's going off, my phone's going off. The only way, the only dignified way to do this is say, hey, honey, I got to go to the bathroom. 
Oh, yeah, that was nothing. Okay. <laughs> Back to focus date night, right? But you see, the urgent things in your life will always force you out of the important things. Always. When was the last time you had a sense of urgency to read your Bible? You're talking to someone, you look them in the eye, and you go, I would love to talk to you right now, but I have to read my Bible the second. To the place of being rude, no, I have to be rude. But you see, we don't mind being rude when this thing goes off. You're talking to somebody, and you go, and they're talking, you go, oh, wait, wait just a minute, let me just get this, I'll get right back to you. This is not important, this is urgent. Urgent is not what is going to drive you. Important is what should drive you. When was the last time you're talking to someone, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to pray this moment. I feel the Spirit of God is moving in my heart. I feel like this is an opportune time. We've got to seize this moment, capture this time, right this second. When was the last time that happened? It doesn't happen because you live in the urgent, not in the important. If you lived in the important, then you would see God move more. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, I want you to look up here. I put it in there, uh, the word kairos. There's two words in the Greek language for time. One is kairos and one is chronos. Chronos has the idea, it kind of makes sense, like chronology, right? Kairos is a different word. It means that opportune time, that special time, that God time that God arranges in such a way that you can, it only happens periodically in your life. You will not have a million Kairos moments in your life. You will have maybe a dozen. And I'm, I'm guessing here. You're going to have a few moments in your life where God brings you a Kairos moment and says, this is that which I wanted you to anticipate, that I wanted you to expect. This is that opportune time that's unlike any others. Many of you can look back on your life and go, those are some opportune times I left and I, because I thought, well, they'll come back or I'll get more of those. What I've discovered is that God, once he sends them in the right time, he doesn't resend them. You use those to prepare for the ones that are coming down the road. So let me just uh, show you a little clip here. This is a clip from Dead Poets Society. And uh, some of you may have seen that movie. It's, uh, it's a, one of my all-time favorite movies, along with 8 million others. But um, it's actually a great movie because there's this moment in here where they go into this phrase called seize the day, a carpe diem. So let's just watch it and then we'll comment on it in just a moment. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> hear it? 
Is your life going to be extraordinary or ordinary? You see, God wants you and me and everyone to be extraordinary, to seize the day. God gives you kairos moments in your life. The two time zones in the Bible, one is called chronos. It's the passing of hours and days. We all have that. It doesn't take anybody special to notice that. We can all notice that. We can see that. We can experience that. We can run out of time even though we have all the time there is. But then there's kairos time. And kairos time is arranged opportunities, times that God has arranged for you for a reason. Not for someone else, but for you. And when those moments come, they come at unexpected moments. They're not announced in advance. They're not put on a calendar. They're not sent from heaven. They just come and you go, there's something different about this moment, about this time, about this opportunity. I don't know what it is, but I need to seize the day. I need to not ignore it and overlook it. I need to go into it a little bit deeper. And when you do that, what you do is you start to act in wisdom. You start to discover that, wait a minute, this is something special. Maybe you write it down. Maybe you chronicle it. And and you say, I've got to seize this moment somehow because I believe it is tied and connected to something great, great and bigger than the process that I have. You see, for a lot of us, we we begin to think that there's a million of those in our lifetime or that we can go back and reach back into time and pull it into the future, but that's just not the case. You can pull the future into the present, but you can't pull the past into the present. People who try to live in the past find themselves not enjoying the present or the future because all they can do is see the brightest day in their life was yesterday instead of the brightest day in their life is the day-to-day that they pull into the present and begin to live it and understand it as God would have you to understand it. There are things that happen in these things, past, present, and future, that are very uniquely wired to past, present, and future. For example, C.S. Lewis, uh, the, the Cambridge Oxford scholar, said this, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. So anything you're going to do wrong is in your future. Not all of them, but nearly all of them are rooted in your future. He went on to say this, for example, envy and lust. If you have envy and lust, it's going to be in the future. You're going to say, I want that. How do I get that? And you're looking out into the future and say, i got to have that. Whereas the virtue of gratitude has to do with the past. You can never be grateful for tomorrow. You're only grateful for yesterday or today, the past. Because you have something to to look at. You say, well, this happened. It was a good thing. Therefore, I'm grateful for it. But you never say, I'm grateful for what's happening in the future because you don't know what's happening in the future, and you you expect that it's not going to be as good as the past. Then he went on to say this, and the virtue of trust deals with the present. You don't have trust in the past. You don't have trust in the future. You have trust in the present. So if you begin to understand that God is arranging these things so we understand a little bit how he works. So what he wants us to do is number our days. Now, when we think about that, we typically think about numbers. Well, how, how long will I live? How many days do I have left? That's not at all what God is talking about. Let me take you to the Psalm, Psalm chapter 90. See what it says here. Psalm 90, and uh, beginning in verse, uh, verse 12, I think. Okay, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, I want you just to focus on that scripture for a moment. Just keep it up there. The word number there is the Hebrew equivalent to the, name, uh, to the word kairos. The idea of numbering your days is number those special days that I might take those special days and apply wisdom to them. 
It's not the idea that every day is a special day. It's not. Most days are ordinary and common. Some days are extremely frustrating. Can we all agree? I don't care what anybody told you. You know, like it's, I use the phrase too, this is the day the Lord has made. It is, but I've sure messed up a whole bunch of it. Or somebody else has, amen? Okay, but there are some special days. So what we want to do is begin to look at that. Here's what we do. We make the mistake of thinking people and circumstances are preventing us from our opportune day. But actually, the barriers that are restricting you are within you. Let me say it again. The barriers that are restricting you are within you. When you take and, and take and become accountable for what's inside of you that's keeping you from going somewhere, then you will start to go somewhere. But you make excuses because, well, this bad thing happened and I made this mistake and so and so and if I had got that promotion and I got got this. Hey, don't you get tired of your own stuff? Other people do. Excuses no one wants to hear. I can understand an explanation, but excuse, I don't want to hear it. You want to hear excuses? I got excuses. I could have been an Olympic runner, but I had two problems. I was slow and fat. That's my excuse. You got excuses? They're not worth anything. Move past those and realize you have barriers inside of you that if you will just say, I am going to break down the stuff inside of me so that I can go where I want to go and where God wants me to go, I'm going to act with wisdom so that I seize the day and take advantage of those opportune moments in my life. So as we think about that, think about what is it that pulls me back. It's the lure, first of all, of conformity. We want to conform to everything around us. We want to dress like everybody, but we want to be different than everybody. That doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, J.D. will look at me every once in a while and goes, I'd wear that. That's if to say, I'm unintentionally cool once in a while. That's really what he's saying. You know, I wouldn't wear what you wear every day, but that you, you got one thing right today. The lure of conformity. So I look at J.D., I go, I don't know. I, I, he looks cool with anything on. I mean, he, I don't know why people are like that. But there's a lure because I think if I'm like everybody else and everyone will like me. It's just not true, is it? The worst time is when you're in teenage years and you're trying to dress like everybody else, and then when you dress like everybody else, it was yesterday's fashion, and you have to go get tomorrow's fashion, which you can't afford, and your parents are certainly not going to buy for you. But it's a lure. It's something in us. Then there's a lure for approval because it goes. They're kind of, kind of go together, don't they? That I want you to approve of me. And if you approve of me, then I feel good about me. But the problem is that I never. I become an, an addict to approval, and I'm an approval addict who always wants to approval, approval, approval. And then someone wants to speak truth to me. I can't handle it because I think they're talking about me. They're talking about things in you that they don't like in you. Does that make sense? You see, because we, we become so addicted to approval that no one can say anything to us that doesn't sound like approval. This is kind of my pet peeve. You know, it's like we just went to our grandson's uh, baseball game, and he's won the World, World Series. Now and he's on this traveling team. And, and so what a blessing. We get to go 
to West Covina and watch this game at 120 degrees. I would think the guy, I'd rather him lose than me go to 120 degrees. When our kids were both in soccer, we used to pray for minor injuries. You know, nothing is really going to deliver it. Just, we don't want it. We're tired of going. Right? My pet peeve is when everybody gets a trophy. No, you don't deserve one. You were bad. Quit playing baseball. Go do something else. Right? Not everybody can sing. Everybody should try in a congregation. There's the lure of the urgent. I have to hurry up. I have to hurry up and do this, hurry up and do this. I promise you that anything you're in a hurry to do probably is not as important as the important. Do you know that the, the, the master of the urgent is Satan? He's always telling you, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. You need to, you, you need to do that. You need to fix that. You need to go to, and it's always nagging, nagging, nagging voice. And whereas God just says in a still, small voice, he says, I love you. Would you rest in my presence? When we were living in England, and I was going to school there at Oxford, and a professor is a friend of mine and still remains to be a friend, and he had a double Ph.D. in physics. And he had all these accolades that went about him, and, you know, he'd accomplished great things. And I was always like hyper, you know, like, uh, Dr. Kerr, we got to do this, got you know, and, and he'd go. He looked at me one day, and he said, good God, son. You need to put on the, some headphones and go lay on the lawn and listen to Brahms. You're too wound up. When was the last time you really just stopped long enough to listen to God? See, here's what God said. He didn't say, be noisy and you can hear my voice. Be anxious and you can hear my voice. Be worried and you can hear my voice. He said, be still and you can hear my voice. Be still and know that I am God. It's in the stillness when we begin to tune out the the urgent that we can listen to the important. Invest in eternity, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Here's what it says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now watch this again. Here it is again. This goes over and over and over again in Scripture. He has made everything beautiful in its time. This is that same Hebrew phrase, proper time or opportunity. Not everything is beautiful every day. It's just that way. That's what it means to be human. Are we all agreed there? Right? If you, if you picture this idyllic view of life, then you're so discouraged when something difficult happens. No difficulty happens, but God has given you wisdom and strength and created you in his image so you can, you can navigate through it in his power. Amen? So he's made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. So he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put eternity in your heart in such a way that you will never get away from me. Though you try, you will never get away from me. You know, there's a, there, there's a phrase that, that came up in that song that uh, he's always faithful, right? It actually comes from a scripture that says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You realize that God in you does not deny the God in you. You might be faithless, but he is faithful. You fight against it. I'm going to be faithless. That's fine, but I'm, you, you got me to contend with, and I'm in you. That's what God's saying. I am faithful. I remain faithful to you. 
because you are mine. You were bought with a price. You were sealed in the blood of the Lamb of God. You were raised from the dead. You were made a son and a daughter of the living God. I wrote your name. I wrote your name on my palm, and you're like a royal diadem, and I turn you every way, and I see every dimension of the glory that I put into you. If you would just stop long enough to see it, you would appreciate you too. Here's a problem we get so caught up with the spirit of the age. It's like Dean Engel said. He said, he who marries the spirit of the age becomes a widower. Fall in love with this time right now, and it will turn on you. He said, well, we have to change culture. You don't change culture. You become a culture. And you're always going to be a subculture. You can't change culture. You are a subculture operating within culture. Culture is the way we see life, the way we do things. You change people one at a time by coming to a new understanding of God, but you don't change culture. People say, we're going to change the world. No, you're not. You're going to change one person at a time, and if enough of you get that same mindset, you might change a community. You might change a world. Do you ever th- stop to think about how God looked at time with his own son? Here's Jesus before he's, he's not even preaching, teaching, or doing miracles until he's 30 years old. God puts him on the shelf till he's 30. Doesn't sound like good time management to me. You got the eternal son of God, turn him loose. He wasn't ready. The Bible says even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's Jesus. You think you're above that? Yeah, I don't need that. I'm, I'm, no, wait a minute. Jesus did. You don't. Then he takes him. He says, okay, I'm gonna, your entire ministry is going to last three years. If my ministry lasted three years, it would be pitiful. He got three years. He got everything in, got 12 guys trained. One guy betrayed him. They crucified him, put him in a grave. He kicked the door open, rose from the dead, and changed the world. You know why? Because he knew his opportune time. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was why he was there, and he maximized everything about him in those three years. If you would maximize who you are in God, stop being lured by all the other things that aren't important, and focus in on what God is up to, I promise you, you will make a bigger splash in the world than you're making today. That's all I'm saying. I love atheists um, because they're so phony. I don't know anybody more phony in the world than atheists. If you're an atheist, I love you. But I've never met really good atheists. Stephen Hawking is an atheist. He was. He died. They did his funeral at a church by a pastor in England. Is that ironic to you? It's ironic to me. He was married to a a woman. He got married in, I think it was 1962, to a woman who was a Christian, totally born-again Christian. They were married 25 years. Um, she talked about in her book she, she, about living with Stephen Hawking as, a, as an atheist and, and what that was like and how the test of her faith and all of those kind of things. But I love to read what he writes because he's not a very good atheist. Let me just read something to you. Here it is on the board. We are such insignificant creatures on a minor planet of a very average star in the outer suburb of 100 billion galaxies. Does that make you feel unimportant? I'm an insignificant creature on a minor planet, an average star, outer suburb of one of 100 billion galaxies. Wow. I thought I was somebody. 
Look what it says. So it's difficult to believe in a God that would care about us or even notice our existence. You mean, wait a minute, I thought there wasn't a God. You see, speech betrays us. As Shakespeare said, I, I think maybe you, you protest too much, my lady. When you protest too much about there not being a God, you, you confirm what Ecclesiastes said, that God has put eternity in your heart. God has put eternity in your heart. Look, let's, let's read what Psalmist said. See if you feel different about it when you hear the Scripture. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Which, which changes your emotional life more? I'm an insignificant creature living on an outer suburb planet in a 100 billion galaxy on an average star. I was fearfully, wonderfully made, and God has crowned me with glory and honor. I love that. How do you invest in eternity? Timing is everything. If you're going to be an investor in a stock market, you have to, you understand timing is everything, right? You want to buy low, sell high. I mean, isn't that kind of the way it works? But do you realize the kingdom of God works that way? It, it kind of works like timing is everything. Do you realize that the time that you have, what are you doing with the time that you have to get ready for eternity because when you stand before God one day, guess what? He's, you're not standing before God with all your success in business or how much you have in the bank. You're standing before God with what did you do with the opportune moments you had in life? What did you do with the resources you had? What we want to do is we want to compare ourselves to those around us and say, well, I was in church more than they or I gave more than they or I served more than they. And But see, God never compares us to others in eternity at judgment. He compares us to us and what we did with what we had. If I ask you right now, how do you feel about the way that you've stewarded your life for God up to this point? Would you give yourself an A, a B, a C, a D, an F, or did you just audit the class? What would you give yourself? It's kind of a fun exercise, isn't it? Just kind of think, okay, well, C. C is always good, right? It's like the neutral answer. Got a C, going to work hard, get a B next year. But if you were standing before God right now and he, and he said, let's look at your talent, your resources, your opportunities, all these things, and don't worry about anybody else, just worry about you, how you doing, really? The great thing about God is he doesn't impose guilt. That's what your neighbor does. It's a gift that keeps on giving. But what God does is he brings conviction. And the difference is he says, look, this is where you fall short, but conviction says we don't hold that against you. We're not going to bring that up. What we'd like you to do is start fresh today. Would you like to do that? Would you like to make a recommitment to take advantage of the opportunities, to take the resources you have and use them in a better fashion? Instead of for you, would you use them for me? Would you take a little bit bigger picture, in other words, of this whole uh, thing called life? You ever find yourself going, I've wasted enough time? You ever just said that to yourself, I've wasted enough time. I need to get on with it. The other thing about, about investing in eternity is obtain insider information. It's not legal in the in the stock trading world to, to get insider information. You know, the IPO's coming out. You got the information. You get it. You, you know it's going to be a big thing. That's illegal. But guess what? In the kingdom of God, it's totally legal. God gives you the Bible and gives you the Holy Spirit and says, I'm going to give you some insider information. I'm going to feed you daily with my wisdom. 
I'm going to tell you how to make the best investment of your life ever. I want to end with this quote from John Wesley. He said, I judge all things only by the price they should gain in eternity. I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. There's something about us that wants to live so much in this that we forget about this. I've got to live for now. I've got to accumulate. I've got to do this. got to do this. But guess what? Your future is really here. It's not in time. It's in eternity. The call of time in our life is a call to say, I want to stand before you and be blessed, God. I want to stand before you and be honored. I want to stand before you, and I want to have an eternal weight of glory. I want to hear you say from your lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. You're going to be, listen to it, you're going to be ruler over many things. See, unfortunately, some people who are rich in this world will be paupers in the world to come. Some people who are rich in this world will be leaders in the world to come. It's not about the economics. It's about what you do with your economics. Amen? Let's stand together. I want to... uh, The greatest investment of your life is an investment in eternity that comes with faith when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to to provide a prayer for you. The prayer is that you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can begin this process of, of good, opportune moments. Today is the day the Lord has made. That is true. Today is the day of salvation. That's a unique day. If you don't know him, or you're uncertain if you know him, today is the day that you should know him. It's an opportune moment. So I'm going to pray a prayer, whether and you can pray it right where you stand or sit, and this is a prayer of faith. It's my words, your faith. So let's just bow our heads, and, and you can just pray this prayer right out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know you love me. I believe you died on the cross. You were buried in the tomb. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. By faith, I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior. If that was your prayer in your own words right now, just right where you stand or sit, just thank him for saving your soul. If that was your prayer, I want you just to raise your hand up right now. Just slip your hand up. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Like 10 or 12 of you right now. Anybody else? That was my prayer, Pastor. That was my prayer. God bless you. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close this service with a song. Now, I had to give, I had to stop the song halfway through in the first service because nobody was singing. All right? But here's what I want you to do. This is a song about resting in the promises of God. That means trusting in Him. Okay? I want you to sing it. And as you sing it, I want you to sing it like you really mean it. Can you do that? Okay? And if, if I don't see enough of that, I'll get out in the crowd with a microphone and put it up to your mouth. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I will. 
talking to Tammy about the, the guy that was healed and you know the first time Jesus healed him he saw men walking around like trees and Jesus said hey let me do that again literally what it does he prays again he said well we, we got to fix that that's not that's not the healing I wanted and I think Jesus gave us that story because he said persistence is a key in the kingdom so as you're believing God for something do, do not pull back from persistence it's okay. Just keep persisting. And then if you want to help us scholarship some kids to camp, there's going to be someone out there that can greet you, give you some information on that, and help you along the way. God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.